Welcome to Say What You Love. I'm Mark Titus. On today's show, we have a conversation with Seattle mayoral candidate Colleen Echohawk. If elected, Colleen would become the first indigenous woman ever to hold this title in a city that was named after an indigenous leader, Chief Self. Colleen is coming out of a role as the executive director of the Chief Seattle Club, where she shepherded programs for finding help and solutions for indigenous people experiencing homelessness. It's a fascinating conversation. Can't wait for you to hear it all. I want to mention two other quick things. One is if you're liking this podcast, please consider giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts and write a review. It really helps us keep bringing these shows to you. The second is we still have available in the merch shop some Ray Troll special edition Save What You Love t-shirts. $5 from every one of the t-shirts goes back to the Bristol Bay Heritage Land Trust, devoted to preserving land forever in Bristol Bay. Thank you for listening to the show. Hope you enjoy this episode. We'll see you next week. Colleen Echohawk, welcome. What Thank a time you. to be alive in Seattle, huh? Oh my goodness. This is an exciting time. It's time full of opportunity and I'm ready to go. It's, it's, it's what, 8.30 something here. I've had lots of coffee. Excited to talk to you today. <laughs> Me too. I am so thrilled. I've been, I, you know, I think I was telling you earlier, I've been so excited about this for over a week. I've been coming up with questions in the shower. Mm. I mean, it's just been, um, <laughs> I, I've just, you know, Okay, fanboy, stop. And here's what happened. <laughs> when you announced your candidacy for uh-huh. the mayoral race in the city of Seattle, my heart actually leapt a little bit. And Aww. I was very happy because I know the work that you do, and we're going to get into all of that here in a second, but I'm going to quickly yeah. first jump clear back to your roots and the yeah. beginnings of things. And, you know, in in researching how you came to us here in Seattle. Um, I can identify you have a very American story. Um, I was born in Wisconsin, but my folks moved out here when I was six months old. And this place has always been my home. Mm -hmm. You have roots in the Midwest as a member of the Pawnee Nation, Mm -hmm. but were born in Alaska and then made your home here in the Pacific Northwest. So why is this place home for you? Oh, it, uh, that's a great, a good question, and I think um, I have this really vivid, vivid memory of visiting Seattle when I was 16 years old. At the time, my aunt was working at the Pike Place Market Senior Center, which is still a vibrant, beautiful senior center. And uh, we were in the market, and it was a beautiful Seattle day. Don't tell anybody else. We all know how it is, right? And I just like looked at the Puget Sound, I looked at the market, and I just felt so rooted and connected somehow at 16. And I remember telling my mom, like, I want to live here. I want to move here. And then, you know, I, um, was doing other things right out of high school. I met my husband who, um, had gotten into UW and we, and I was like, fabulous. 
this is the place I want to be. And here we came back and, um, I've been here for over 22, 24 years. We did spend a couple years in Hawaii because my husband is from there and we tried it out. Um, but I was the person on the plane when we moved to Hawaii, who was just crying about moving, going to Hawaii because I love this place and think it's one of the more, um, beautiful cities in the whole world and just feel very rooted here. I couldn't agree with you more. It is, yeah. and uh, we've got lots to talk about Seattle coming up. But mm-hmm. uh, there's something that really struck me. Um, you never forget where your roots are from. No. What was it your dad said to you all the time about your roots, and how did this form yeah. you? Yeah. So my dad always felt a little, uh, I think, dissonance because he was raising kids in Alaska, but he grew up in Oklahoma um, and is you know, very rooted in our tribe, the Pawnee Nation. So he would say to us every single day, he was so good about it. He would say, you are Pawnee, you are an Echo Hawk, you can do anything. And then he would give me a chore to do or something. <laughs> <laughs> <Of> course. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a very loving, him and my mom are so... Uh, we were raised in a very in- incredibly loving environment where we were told every day how much they loved us and how much they believed in our dreams and how um, they thought that we were so cool and unique because we were and are Pawnee um, citizens, but living in Alaska. And uh, just so very fortunate to have parents that continue to root us in, in who we are as Native people and also as individuals. Like they just continue to to pour um, tons of positivity and belief into us as, as individuals. So it was really great upbringing. Well, and, and you also, um, this is, you know, certainly an American story, but it's uh, very much um, in my understanding, an indigenous story. Mm-hmm. You had other wonderful influences in influencers in your life mm-hmm. from an early age on. Yeah. Tell, tell us about growing up next door to the John family and what you learned yeah. from, from Katie John. Yeah. So I was um, so lucky that <laughs> I keep saying lucky because truly I, I, I think about, you know, Native people in this um, in this world and it's not always easy for Native people, right? Like we haven't, we're still overcoming um, historical and ongoing trauma and we have a lot of resilience in the community, but there's a lot of hard things that happen for the Native community as well. And um, we moved into this little tiny town in Delta Junction, Alaska, and our like next door neighbors, and I, I say that in air quotes because it was like I don't know half a mile, but in Alaska that's next door. And, <laughs> yeah, it is. And, um, and they were this incredible native family again, a native dad and a white mom. And um, Fred John um, Jr. is one of the folks that raised me. I saw him almost every day, and because he was uh, and is an incredible. Uh, giving person, him and his wife, Linnea, they um, just adopted us into their family and then um, formally adopted us into their tribal community. I think uh, his mom, Katie John, became my grandma and we would go and visit her um, multiple, multiple times of the year um, and, 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 and just really got to grow up with um, the beauty and, and strength of the upper and Athabascan community in Metasta Lake. And it's one of my favorite places in the world. It's really, uh, again, that sense of home um, is rooted in, in Metasta and with um, that community that helped raise me and form me. And um, even when I, when I was thinking about running for office here in Seattle, I called up Uncle Fred John and I said, you know, what do you think? And he was so like, 
this is the right time. You need to do this. And um, gave me a lot of good lessons. And then I also called the tribal council up there too and said, you know, you know, what do you, what do you think? And they gave me their blessing and encouragement and prayers. And um, so I'm very, very fortunate to have to grow up with uh, Fred John Jr. and Katie John and all the other folks in Manhasa Lake. And Katie, Katie John is a paragon of saving what she loved. And yeah, how, yeah. how did that influence you? Oh, so huge. Like, you know, I, I grew up with her and then, but, and would hear her tell the stories of, you know, um, the first uh, black um, man she saw in, in her world, or I'm sorry, the first um, um, white person she ever met was actually a black soldier. who was working on the Alaska highway. They had heard about white people, but didn't really, you know, just knew that they were a different group. And so she would tell stories like that and, and um, would laugh and joke. And um, she just was an incredibly resilient person. And she, um, she experienced a ton of loss, just tons and tons of loss. Like she, 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 she remembers and, and experienced colonization happened at an incredibly rapid rate in Alaska. Like it just sort of just pouring in and all of a sudden the lifestyle was completely changed, including her kids being taken away to go to boarding schools. And, um, and she just continued to adapt and change and then also fight. Um, so she was, um, is very well known inter- internationally for fighting for subsistence rights. And I got to grow up watching that and, and seeing her, um, graciousness and her partner, her willingness to look at all sides of things and to partner with people and, and to make things happen. And, um, for our listeners, um, I've spent, a. a- a great deal of time in Alaska and, and mm. subsistence uh, yeah. is a word that means actually using the resources from the land to live your daily life. So in salmon, it would be, you know, folks like in Bristol Bay taking their allotment of salmon for the year to be able to actually live on it. And that, that happens still today, by the way, in Bristol yeah. Bay, which is amazing. So yeah, Katie's, yeah. Katie's a hero. And um, it's a pretty incredible to have a role model like that. Mm-hmm. Do you think from Growing up in Delta Junction, growing up around in that kind of community and that that luminosity, mm-hmm. is that where your lifelong commitment to helping people in need began? Yeah, absolutely. You know, my parents really just raised us like that. Uh, you know, and I think it goes back even further. My dad would tell stories about his dad um, who, you know, would be driving down a street in a city and he would see someone who was obviously experiencing homelessness or some kind of distress and he would stop the car and he would go and help that person. And he would give them, you know, literally the coat off of his back. And, and my dad, you know, those were the stories he told me about his um, dad who, who died sadly before I was ever born. So I never met my grandfather on my, on my dad's side, my, my up it in traditional Pawnee language. And so um, that was a story I heard. And then my dad and mom practiced that as well. Like, we have hilarious memories and also it was, you know, an unusual way to grow up, but we would see a hitchhiker in the middle of Alaska, you've been Alaska and you can see like way down the road because there's no one else on the road. And and my dad would like see like a hitchhiker and he would say to us, we're going to pick him up. He could not resist um, picking up hitchhikers because he himself had hitchhiked before when he didn't have any money. 
he didn't have any resources or family to call out in Alaska. And he just felt so much concern for them. And we would pick up people and um, we would have people who would come back to our home with us and stay with us. And some stayed for three and four and six years um, because they needed the help. And that's just the way we grew up is you get in there and help when in the Metasta and, and the Uprat and the Athabascan traditions too, you know, we learn how to serve at potlatches and serve um, the elders and serve the children and get in there and, and do that work. And that's just the way um, we grew up. And that's the way when I, when I moved here to Seattle, I think one of the, um, one of the very first things that my husband and I did, cause we were um, going to a church that had like a little, um, uh, like a homeless shelter, like hangout for youth. Um, mm-hmm. That was one of the first things we did is get to know the homeless community here in Seattle. So it's just been a part of my life. And, and it's not at all like, um, like I'm so great or, you know, any kind of martyrism. It truly is joyful and fun. Um, I, I feel so blessed to get to, uh, you know, serve the community and, um, and do it in a way that, you know, it, when, when you give back to community, it comes back to you. And, and that is a, a blessing. And I've, I've just been able, I've been so lucky in my life to, to serve and to, um, and to be friends with um, community. You know, it, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it is a blessing. And there, there's one other um, part of that for me, at least in terms of Alaska, mm-hmm. you know, I lived, I lived in Alaska for a while yeah. and where I lived, we were in the wilderness in Southeast. So taking care of each other, was literally a matter of life and death. If your boat broke down and you're out in the middle of the beam canal and there's mm-hmm. four foot seas, yeah. you better believe that, you know, the per- your neighbor is going to come to your, your, you know, your aid and you're going to do the same. Yeah. So, um, I, I love that. I miss that about Alaska. I miss that about not living there. Um, mm-hmm. and I, you know, certainly hope that's something to, we can incorporate, you know, moving yeah. forward in our city. Um, which brings Absolutely. us. Absolutely. And and I want to run run back real quick on something because you brought yeah. it up, the subsistence. I've been thinking a lot about that. You know, we grew up um, hunting, fishing. Um, one of our favorite things in the, in the summer for us was berry picking. We spent, mm. you know, hundreds of hours berry picking and it was, it was so joyful and it was com- a community event. And I think a lot about subsistence in my own leadership. Um, and when I think about it with the city, like how do we become a city and a community where, where not only are we subsisting off the land and, and, you know, finding ways to, you know, be better about, you know, the, you know, climate justice, but also how do we better about doing that with each other? How are we like, you know, building relationships that, um, bring, um, you know, goodness into our lives and, and, and our community oriented, like the, the thing about like, you know, fishing in with, in the fish camp, um, in, in Alaska or in other native communities is that it's, it's done with your neighbors. It's done with your family and, and you're taking care of each other. And, and I just think that that's such a cool opportunity here in Seattle. I look forward to you know, finding ways to resource neighborhoods, to build better relationships, to, you know, find ways to, you know, thaw out the Seattle freeze a little bit and, and give, um, give us opportunity to, um, know each other better. I think we went through this 
pandemic. And we realized, um, and we are realizing still, because we're not out of it, that our neighbors mean something. And and did we know our neighbors? And, 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 and how, will we, how will we come out of this pandemic? I hope it's with stronger relationships with each other. Here, here. And shameless plug here for the podcast. Um, if you haven't already, uh, the, our very first episode um, was with my friend Abayak Moore, who is um, Yupik and uh, lives in Lake Aleknikik up in Bristol Bay, talks extensively about that sense of community and around fish camp. It's, it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. I bet you dig it. Well, look, that brings us kind of, I think, here now to current day. And yeah. um, can you get us a little bit of backstory here on what is the Chief Seattle Club? And how sure. has your ro- how has your role grown there? Yeah. Oh, I just love talking about the Chief Club. So thank you. It is this incredible organization right in Pioneer Square, and it was started in 1970 by a priest who, you know, saw that Native people were becoming homeless. Um, and the reason we be- were becoming homeless at that time was there was a. a Federal Relocation Act called um, the Urban Indian Relocation Act, and it moved people um, through to many different um, urban centers out of reservations, including Seattle. And um, Native people throughout the country started becoming homeless because you literally, if you lost your housing and you lost your job that the Bureau of Indian Affairs should have provided you, um, some didn't, some didn't, but if you lost that, then you didn't have anyone to call and to fall back on. So um, a lot of folks became homeless. We're still dealing with that re- reverberation today. And so the Chief Seattle Club um, started because of that. And when I, I was a board member first, and we were a day center, um, we had our own building in, in, down, um, in Pioneer Square, and then I became the executive director. And we um, had a hard first year, I'll say that. And we had a lot of stabilizing of the organization to do. And then I started kind of looking at the at what was going on. And I noticed that Native people were experiencing homelessness at much higher rates than anyone else in the city. And it broke my heart, honestly. And I saw my own relatives, people that I grew up with, who were experiencing homelessness here in Seattle and, and saw how much they um, needed culturally attuned services. And we started growing our programs. I, I remember um, in uh, 2016, we opened um, seven days a week. And that really started some momentum of... Um, where we're at now. So we grew our agency from, you know, a budget of about 500,000 to this year, it's 17 million plus around 186 million in housing development. We became housing developers because I saw that the mainstream housing was just not working for our folks. And we needed to build housing that was owned by native community and run by native community and for native community. And so uh, it's been quite the journey. I'm so proud of our agency. I'm so proud of our staff and glad to do this work. It's one it's some of the most fulfilling work I've ever experienced. I think for our listeners who are paying attention, they can thread the needle here and, and kind of answer this for themselves, but to, to really shine a light on it. Um, how has your sense of leadership and your commitment to community been shaped by the indigenous wisdom that you've been blessed and formed with? Mm. You know, I think the, the number one thing that comes to mind is just seeing people for people, like putting down your assumptions, letting go of what you might think of someone who is, you know, experiencing homeless or some homelessness or someone who's, you know, a multi multimillionaire in the city and just letting those assumptions go and seeing that person as a person. 
um, because um, that's what that's what I was taught when I was growing up, and and that that has truly helped me be able to bridge a lot of different places. It's just saying you're you're a human being just like me, and 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 that has um, been just instrumental in my life. And then I think also like finding ways to prioritize the most vulnerable. You know, to, to you know, in in our in the village of Matassa, you know, if, if you were hungry or you were cold and didn't sleep, place to sleep, you know, Grandma Katie's house was going to be there for you, or someone else's house, like they were going to have some soup for you and some tea, and you were going to be able to sleep on the couch, you know, and and I, and that's the kind of value system that I have brought to my work in in Seattle, um, to to say to our larger community the most vulnerable person here, we need to pay attention and we need to lift them up. And we also need to listen to their wisdom. I I, I think about it all the time with our um, homeless community because we have so many people experiencing homelessness in Seattle. It's, it's so, it's so remarkably horrible that we, that we have this in a city like Seattle and, and you know, there's around 12,000 people and three to 4,000 people sleep outside every night. What are we missing when this is a this community is just struggling to stay alive, right? What kind of solutions to our you know city problems um, are are laying in the hands of this community? And, and, and once they have the opportunity to get stable, to um, get that housing, to to have their mind rest for a minute and not be so stressed, they 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 have so much to offer us. And so that is um, what I have. Um, learned and continue to learn. And then um, I could talk about this for a long time. And here comes my puppy. Hi, puppy. Um, uh, but also the the wisdom of um, of our elders. If, if I'm elected mayor, when I'm elected mayor, you know, I will an, establish an elder council that I'll be meeting with every month and to listen to them. And, and I don't think I'll have a presentation or anything. I'm just going to be there to listen and say, tell me about what's going on in the city and what you think needs needs to happen, and, and I think that's just just a part of who I am, and and will be a part of my practice. Well, listen, Colleen, I I observed we met at a couple um, of the Chief Seattle Club luncheons over yeah. the last couple of years, and I just paid attention to how you paid attention to people in the room, and I I completely agree that I think one of your gifts is to be present. You were present with me, and I know there was a lot of people in that room from all walks of life, all colors, all backgrounds, all socioeconomic profiles. And um, I really completely agree with you that that mm-hmm. is a key to moving forward in this city. That said, I, I think we got to bring up the um, the fact that you know you're running for mayor in a city that 150 years ago enacted an ordinance to ban indigenous people from its city limits. It's the only city named after an indigenous leader. And yet there's a, there's just one small statue on Cedar street that you, you have to know to go find, uh, in chief South, the, the Duwamish people on whose traditional lands we're speaking right now to each other mm-hmm. are, are still not a federally recognized mm-hmm. tribe with all this as a backdrop. What, what are you feeling? You've got to have some incredible mix of emotions as you ponder this idea of becoming mm-hmm. the first indigenous and, by the way, female leader of this city, one of the biggest and best cities in the, the country, if not the world, especially yeah. 
in the light of Deb Holland's recent confirmation as Secretary of the Interior? Yeah. Um, it It's starting to kind of dawn on me more. You know, I, I originally just jumped into this race because I felt like it was the right thing to do, that I had the solutions. Like, I feel like I'm uniquely situated right now for to be able to address some of the biggest issues in our city, you know, police accountability um, and equitable recovery from COVID and homelessness, like homelessness, we have to fix this. It's a fixable thing. And I was just frustrated and felt like I, 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 if I continue my life of service, this is, this is the next thing. And then it started to like, kind of be like, Oh, well, Colleen, you're, you're a native woman. And, and, and what is that going to mean for the city? And, um, it's it's overwhelming in many ways because um, I I want to to represent mm-hmm. in the right way. Um, I want to recognize that I am not a Coast Salish community member. I am not, you know, Suquamish or Duwamish or Muckleshoot or Tulalip who all kind of claim this area. Um, and and I I I just have to be. I'm just I'm just humbled by it. And, and feel like I, um, I, I have a responsibility to do the, to do the very best that I can and to um, work hard and to um, live out the resilience of my, my ancestors. And at the Chief Seattle Club, we have um, one of our programs, we uh, print, print shirts. And um, I have two. We have these shirts that say, I, I'm the wildest dreams of my ancestors. And my ancestors, you know, endured and and pushed through so many things so that I could be here today. And and I feel their presence and I feel their guidance as I, I'm on this journey. And I, I believe that they um, are, are with me, that they are um, leading me forward, and um, that even though I feel like this weight of responsibility, um, I, as long as I'm, as long as I'm, say true to my values, say true to their guidance, then, then it's going to be okay, no matter what. Because this is, um, I, I have found, Mark, that running for mayor is hard. <laughs> It's not super easy. Really? I can't imagine that. Jeez. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good guidance. segue, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got good guidance, and um, I'm I applaud you for for uh, turning to that. Um, yeah. And here's a news flash: uh, we have challenges in this city. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think anyone. We've touched on it here um, a bit, but I don't think anyone would argue that homelessness and economic disparity are at the top of our list of challenges. Um, can you dig a little deeper into why you are uniquely qualified to take this on? Yeah. Well, I mentioned this a minute ago that, um, the work of, of solving homelessness is, is not rocket science. It, it's going to take political will. It's going to take courageous leadership and decisive leadership to to mm-hmm. make us um, get into the to the right space of, of actually doing it, um, I have the experience of building housing, of getting um, you know making programs that that will work for our homeless community to get them into wellness and to um, stability. So I feel like I'm very uniquely qualified in in solving the crises of, of of homelessness in our city. And then I've also been working on police accountability for the past four years as a community police commissioner. Um, and and even before that, I was you know in 
in community with our Seattle community who was struggling over the you know murder of John T. Williams. And so I I am I am dedicated to the reform of our Seattle Police Department and dedicated to the reform of policing in this country, which has impacted our communities in, in native community and our black community. Um, in, in really horrific ways. Like we have to um, hold them accountable and become the kind of city that we say we are, that um, we are progressive and that we believe in the sanctity and humanity of every, every single life. Um, so, um, and, then, and then the final thing is equitable recovery from COVID. We, we have to be um, so clear that, that prior to COVID, we, were not an, we are not an equitable city that we had um, disparities that were remarkable. We have an infant mortality rate for native babies. That's 11%. That is, that is stunning. Wow. We, we have, you know, our black and indigenous and other people of color communities, our Pacific Islander community who, um, who, when we, when we looked down at COVID, not only were we, um, you know, we, we had greater, um, sorry, I'm like just overwhelmed by it right now. It's that we mm-hmm. found and discovered that Native people were going to die at a much higher rate of COVID. We are much more likely to be hospitalized. And then it's not just Native people. It was the Black community. It was our um, Latinx community. It was our Pacific Islander communities. And so um, we can't go back to where we were before COVID. We have to envision and hope and plan and work for a new future that is truly equitable for our city. And that means, um, you know, finding ways to support business owners and, 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 and finding ways to revitalize our downtown, um, finding ways to build more housing, um, and doing it with the lens of equity and racial justice. So it's, it's a, um, unprecedented opportunity, Right. This is a, gen- a time, a chance for generational shift and change, and that's mm-hmm. why I'm in this. That's why I'm in this race. It's 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 got to, it's got to have that perspective, or or we're going to go back to places that we don't want to go back to. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. This is a moment of opportunity, yeah. and it is a, a generational moment. Um, I'm going to stay on this thread that we're on. Sure. Um, I didn't choose to be born a white straight male in America in 1972 any more than you chose to be born an indigenous woman, but I was. Uh-huh. Um, and all I have to do is wake up and look around to understand the privilege I've been blessed with. Um, how can those of us in, mm-hmm. let's face it, a, a pretty white city uh-huh. here in the United States, how can those of us in inherent privilege truly listen mm-hmm. and be best allies for BIPOC and LGBTQ and non-binary mm. communities. Thank you for, for asking that question. And thank you for, you know, really identifying your own privilege in this city. You know, I think that we've had enough of allyship. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that because it, it, it is, it's still, it's a weak idea in many ways. I think it was a starting idea. Um, and I think that it, it, it helped people kind of like, you know, but it also continued to um, place the power and, and, you know, our, our folks like you who are, you know, white or male and privileged, you know, and, and, and so we have to have 
uh, what I've been using, we and, and I'm sure that this is going to evolve this phrase, but we have the co-conspirators in the work. We have to have people who are saying, mm. um, listen, Colleen, or listen to, you know, other, you know, leaders in their community, listen to, you know, um, Estella from El Centro de la Raza or Michelle from um, Urban League and say, what can I do to support your vision? What can I, how can I, um, um, what kind of resources do you need? What kind of money can I raise so that I can put it back into your vision? And I'm here to, to listen to your leadership that has been so um, under, um, you know, under the radar for far, for far too long. And I think that there is that co-conspirator role um, of, of, of stepping stepping into stepping back but also stepping into i'm here to to support um to support the the work that you're doing in a way that honors um your leadership and honors um honors what you've been doing so um i think that uh resources is a big deal money if you can get that money into the hands of the community that is um essential i think that we look at um the opportunities for, um, you know, our black indigenous and people color communities to be owning and building our own housing. I think that land is a big deal when we think about, you know, redlining and gentrification that happened in the city. We have to be purposeful about that. And we have to be bold too. I think often I hear people say to me like, Oh, I I don't really know what I, I could be doing or should be doing. I think, um, just going to the community and asking, like, how can I help you? How can I support you? And I, I'm, and truly, I'm here coming from a place of, um, of, of wanting to follow your leadership. So, um, it's an evolving um, question and answer here, and I think that we have to dive into it as a community, and 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 discover those answers together. I think that's a really brilliant answer. Honestly, um, I felt a bit of uh, the, the word ally as being somewhat passive as well. Mm -hmm. Um, that, uh, Oh good. You're an ally now call call it good and assuage your, whatever you're dealing with. Um, there, there does need to be action. And I think having that co-conspirator idea, um, definitely moves us in that direction. And, um, I, I really appreciate that answer. Um, I, I love this city. I grew up here. I saw Star Wars at the Cinerama in 1977. <laughs> I love it. I did. And yeah. I also had those uh, redolent memories like you talked about, about going to the market and going to the waterfront mm. and smelling the salt from the yeah. Salish Sea. And just like, wow, this is this is big and cool and it's home. And I'm proud of it. I went to high school on Capitol Hill um, and my, my little cohort there, we used to roam around. Uh-huh after school downtown and play video games at this little video game parlor called ivory's back in the Uh day right now, I'm not sure I'd let my 10 nieces and nephews roam around downtown alone. Um, it, it's, it's tough. It's tough sledding out there. And you know, there's needles, there's erratic behavior, there's violence. Um, my, uh, you know, God bless him, Tyler, who's, in this room somewhere in a digital world. Um, he, uh, on his first week of work coming to work for me here in Seattle, he got jumped on the bus by some folks that, and, <sighs> yeah. and beaten. And oh, Tyler. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, look, I think we all want the same thing. Um, what's your take on, you know, obviously this is a huge picture 
and it's a huge answer, but what is your current take on how do how do we create a safe city for all Seattleites yeah. from this point forward? Yeah. This is a huge priority for me and you know we are in my campaign um, working on a public safety or community safety plan. And I, I think that one thing that, you know, I want to say is that mm-hmm. public safety has meant different things for people in this community. I think that, you know, there are indigenous people that I know who, who for, for 20, you know, for the past 20, 30 years have not felt safe in our city. I have homeless relatives right now who um, do not feel safe in, and haven't felt safe in our downtown corridor. We know that our, our black and our black relatives, our black men have, have been um, unsafe for a long time. And so um, that is, um, that's an important lens to remember and to think about. And, and um, I think as we move forward as a city, as we think about this generational opportunity, I hope that we think about safety for everyone as, as, as a priority. And what I hope to do is create opportunities for the community to become, uh, I hope to create a lot of jobs around public safety. I think that um, if you go to, I'm very, very fortunate to, went to, to go to Japan, um, let's see, I don't know how many years ago, it's 2018. And, and if you go to Japan and you're in one of their mm-hmm. incredibly busy transit centers, you will see ambassadors for, I don't know what they call them. I'm calling them ambassadors. People standing there looking to see if anyone needs help or support. And I love that idea. Like, what if we had that in Seattle? I think we need more, more of those kind of people on the street. And I think mm-hmm. that part of the reason we're seeing such an uptick in, in um, violence in our city and, and Tyler, man, my heart goes out to you um, on that. But part of it is that people have been in desperate situations. We have not been taking care of our community in the way that we should. We have people who were, are, have been hungry and have become homeless during this pandemic and people who, um, who are afraid and um, are, are, are acting out. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not condoning that in any way. That is wrong. We have to have community responsibility. And we have um, to make sure that, you know, I believe that we need to be holding the police accountable for when a violent crime is happening, that they that they should be there in two or three minutes, not 15 or 17 minutes. Right. That's the kind of police accountability I'm looking forward to implementing in the city as well, Um, because that's that is that is when they, they should be involved. But we can do much better about creating safety in our streets. And the, and the, and the final thing I'll say about this is that um, we, you know, I was in Pioneer Square a couple oh, last, week, last week and, you know, I'm, I'm trained in how to support people as they're going through a mental health crisis. I'm trained to help them, you know, to, to know what to do when someone's, you know, having a, an extreme reaction to a, a, a substance that they might even be, you know, used. Um, and I was walking along and there was like, hardly anyone in like Occidental there was you know someone like probably a block off and then someone who was clearly high came kind of racing towards me pretty quickly and and screaming and I I I felt a moment of kind of panic because there was no one else around and and I am I am paying close attention to that we we that should not be the norm in our city we have to find ways to support our 
community who's experiencing those kind of crises or is is um, is struggling like that. There should that should not be the 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 norm when someone moves to our city and, and is jumped on a bus. We have to do better about supporting our community, offering solution, um, offering um, community led solutions around supporting our youth who, um, you know, have struggled also through this pandemic um, and, and find ways to um, have prevention programs that have um, in the past been defunded by the city of Seattle. If elected mayor, I would absolutely um, encourage those programs and, and public safety and public and community safety is, it's just a huge priority for me. Well, I love the image of Japan. The um, I've been there too, and it's you can eat off the street. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know, it, so it's a, it's immaculate. There are people yeah. there to help you. Um, I love that. That's an influence. Um, and look, you know, I, I'm a person in recovery, and I mm-hmm. understand yeah. what it's like to go down to your very bottom, and how in addiction you you are not the person that you truly are. Right. Um, and we, we ultimately have to find better solutions for this. Um, I'd like to work with you on that. Yeah, yeah. Some ideas. let's do it. So let's do behind it, Behind the scenes, yeah. I have some ideas. Great. But um, I want to, because I'm mindful of our time, because I know you're so busy, I want to just move on now to some economic thoughts. Um, so I'm going to just start with this disclaimer. I don't think this is fair. I don't think this is a fair assessment of Mayor Durkin or the city council necessarily, but the... Uh, yesterday in the Seattle Business Journal, uh, or sorry, Puget Sound Business Journal, um, a writer named Mark Stiles quoted a, a real estate broker named Dave Spears who said, investors and developers formerly considering Seattle at the top of their must-have cities list now won't consider risking capital into this dystopian nightmare thanks to Seattle's massively incompetent mayor and the Star Wars bar scene called Seattle City Council. Mm. Now, I, I'm not condoning the flippant nature of this language but i i will say just being out in the real world there is a perception and it goes nationally of our current city government right um being incredibly economically unfriendly and tilted one way radically for social justice yeah. i'm 100 percent sure behind the soul of our social justice in this city but Part of this perception, I think, is that there is a vendetta against large business to do what they do here and to further people's political agendas. How are you going to address this and work with this city council and the private sector so our economy can thrive here in Seattle? Yeah, Yeah, let me be really clear that I think that a thriving economy in Seattle – is absolutely essential. And I want business to succeed here. I want our small businesses to succeed here. I want us to, to be um, a city that is continues to be known for our values of entrepreneurship and, and building um, innovative companies that, that change the world. Do I think that we could do that in a way that incorporates um, a lens of equity? Absolutely. And, and we have to. And so that's what my um, lens would be. I ha- I look forward to partnering with business, to partner with our council members. And, you know, one thing I did learn from my grandma, Katie, is is what it does it mean to to see the different sides and find us, find ways for us to come together. I, I think that this, again, this is part of the reason I'm jumping in this race, is that this is an, an opportunity for us to look at our um, 
our our business community and find ways for to help them live out their values. I saw um, over the summer and ongoing, many of our business communities saying, I believe that Black Lives Matter. Well, if you believe that Black Lives Matter, then that means that you are going to have to flex and and grow and evolve your practice of the way you treat your employees or the way that you um, that you you see your hiring practices. I mean, there's a, there's many ways that 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 can be um, evaluated. And I look forward to um, helping people see the vision for that because I believe that an equitable economy is an efficient and, and, and a great economy, that it works and that we should be a city that continues to thrive for business. And again, um, I just think one of, one of the things I love about the city is that it's an entrepreneurial um, city that offers creative space for people to do new things and to change the world. And I think that we should be changing the world in a way that is equitable mm-hmm. and, 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 and lives out our passion for yes, we do. justice um, for, for everyone. So um, that's the way I hope to do that. And then, and then I also, you know, one of the things I'm good at is getting along with people <laughs> and finding ways for us to come together. And I think we need that. We need someone who's going to be that, um, you know, I don't even know if consensus builder is the right thing. I think someone who's going to say, I-, I look at you, I see your values. We're, we're not going to agree on this, but we're going to, we're going to, we're going to push through it together. We're going to find enough common ground for us to, to get moving forward. And, I just look forward to seeing hmm. um, the city thriving for our, our whole um, community. And it, it's, it's a really um, interesting opportunity. The final thing I'll say is that I want people to know that I come from small business. I actually own my small business now. I grew up working in my um, grandma's um, little hotel um, and gas station later. Um, and I believe in, in small business. I understand it. And I want to make, um, our, 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 our businesses in this, in this region, um, I want to find ways to make, help make them thrive and look forward to working with people on doing that. That I know that is music to a, a lot of our ears. I'm a small business owner too, and, um, yeah. want to make it work here. Um, so we are, we are flagging in time, but I want to get to one more question on okay. accountability. Great. Um, come jumping back to the, the Tyler, uh, example, yeah. where, you know, there's no question our, our police force needs accountability and we are right. in a transition and we are in a place of growth. And mm-hmm. I really applaud your, your answer earlier about how to start tackling that. Um, I think that too, that, you know, there's a sense that a lot of people living in the city want to see accountability from our unhoused neighbors as well. Yeah. Yeah. And there has been a lack of that. And so w- complete understanding and compassion for the sure. the uh, the struggles that our unhoused neighbors are going through what in your mind does accountability look like at this point in um, in terms of every citizen being accountable in our community right yeah you know I I so appreciate that question mark because um, I want people to know that I, I believe in community accountability in, including our unhoused relatives and I and you know we we all understand that's what I love about the city we understand like what our, you know, unhoused and homeless relatives are, have been experiencing. We understand that it's hard and it's traumatic. Um, but, you know, when someone's encampment is hurting someone's business, then that just, 
that just can't be like, we have to find ways to um, ensure that they are, that they are, you know, mo- moving along to somewhere where it's not like having such an impact on, on their business, for instance. Um, if, if a community member is, is harming someone, it's attacking someone, then they have to be held accountable to that. I mean, I grew up that, you know, in, in our, in, in Mentasta, my, um, my uncle Fred John always talks about how, um, when he was, you know, in, in, a as a young person was, um, you know, drinking too much and, and was not treating the community the way he should be. Um, my grandma Katie, like, um, was the, was the village judge at the time. And she said, you're not allowed in the village for a whole month, hmm. you know? And so, so we have to find ways to, um, help, um, our, our homeless community and also hold, um, all of us accountable. And so, um, it's a, it's a tough balance, but I think again, um, something that I have great experience in, we do that at the chief Seattle club. What we always say, like, if you are being toxic in this space and you are hurting other people, then you have to leave. And I have that experience and I will, I will do that. And I, and I, you know, thinking about what happened with Tyler, thinking what happened, you know, even with me down at Pioneer Square, where I just felt like, you know, what's going to happen right now? Am I about to be um, hurt or attacked? Mm-hmm. That that can't be. We have to um, find ways for this, for us to come back. And I also just want to, I want to just finalize with saying like, we got to recognize though that this is a really weird time we're in. You yeah, know, it it's, there's, there's not the amount of people that are normally on the streets. There's not that accountability of just like there being a lot of, a lot of people now and, and our folks who were, who are so stressed because of, you know, all the things we've talked about earlier, they're acting in ways that are, are really harmful to community. And, um, I just look forward to us kind of getting back to, um, um, a little bit more normal behavior, you know, normal behavior and normal like societal ways. And we're not going to go all the way back. Right. You know, that's yep. that we got to create new ways as well. But I guess what I mean by that is just having like more people around, you know, being able to be together um, is going to be really important. Totally. And and I love our homeless community. I love this city and I want to see us find ways to bring them into housing and stability and, um, and, and do good. So that's where I'm well, at. We're going to, we're going to wrap this up. I'm, I'm stoked about that. And um Look, I'm going to ask you one more question, and then we'll do a quick rapid fire, and we'll turn you loose with the rest of your busy okay. day. But the um, with the bedrock of your upbringing, and mm-hmm. especially with um, an indigenous um, excellent dose of wisdom, what what is your north star? Oh, my north star number one is my family. Um, I have an amazing partner who has been working um, on this campaign with me in just such a wonderful way, um, and. So, um, it's my family. My family is my North star. Um, I am so blessed and, um, and, 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 and this with, with them. Okay. Here's the rapid fire. Three things. Okay. First things that pop in your head, buildings on fire. You get your loved ones out first, obviously, mm-hmm. but what's the one physical thing you take with you? Oh, um, my puppy, <laughs> of course. I got to get my, my lovely little Rizzo out of, <laughs> out of there too. Um, and then I think it would be like my, um, old, I have a, albums of old family pictures that I would want to want to grab and save those. Indeed. Okay. Let's call it your spiritual house. Now, what are the yeah. two most important things about your life and about your personality that you take with you? Oh, 
I think number one is like, you know, the guidance from my ancestors. Like I, I feel that, you know, I see that I, I feel them around me in the work that I'm doing and, and, and I'm just really aware of, of that responsibility um, to them and how, and how much they have suffered for me to be in this space. So, so that's um, that. And then um, I think the other thing and is just a, a, such a good question. Um, just my belief in human beings. Hmm. Like I just believe that we have, we, this is that humans are good. I believe that humans are good and we have to look and, and ensure that we see the goodness in every human and, and, and find ways to amplify that goodness and, and help people bring, um, help people understand that in each other. Lastly, is there one thing you would leave behind to be purified in a fire? Burned up. Oh, purified in the fire. No moss. I'll, I'll go back to the, the spiritual theoretical mm-hmm. health is, is my, is, is just fear, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, in this journey I'm in right now, um, it is, it's hard. And I, and I have to push back the fear of, you know, of the, of the, of being the imposter in this world. Cause I don't, there's no other, I don't have any other role models as a mayor to look at. Right. So I'm grateful for Deb Holland and, and Sharice Davids and, and Deborah Juarez. Um, but I, you know, it's hard to, to be in, you know, in this space and, and I'm just, it's just, it's just a very, um, um, strange thing to be in. And I have to push back that fear and, um, anxiety. So that's what I would leave behind is any fear I'm, I'm moving on. I want to be courageous. I want to be, um, bold and I want to, I want to serve our community. Colleen Echohawk, Seattle mayoral candidate. And I, I thank you for your courage and your vulnerability. Um, I'm grateful for you. And uh, how can people get involved with your work? Oh, thank you so much for asking. You can find us at echohawkforseattle.com. We are just doing so well in our fundraising and um, the democracy vouchers are just making a huge impact on us. So democracy vouchers are huge and you can find out tons um, about what we're doing at our um, website. Um, we also have, um, we're doing Echohawk Talks um, on all kinds of different topics. So, um, watch out for those. We just put out the second one on our homelessness plan and, and much more to come. So thank you so much, Mark, for this opportunity. It's thank awesome. you. Gosh. I just want to hang out with you. I know. Look, it. I've got, got some ideas we got to talk about and, um, let's, Absolutely. let's catch up more down the trail for now. Okay. Good luck on this campaign rooting thank for you. you and, um, let's stay in touch and so long for now. All right. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks, Colleen. How do you say what you love? How do you say what you love? Thank you for listening to Say What You Love. If you like what you're hearing, you can help keep these conversations coming your way by giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can check out photos and links from this episode at avaswild.com. While there, you can join our growing community by subscribing to our newsletter. You'll get exclusive offers on wild salmon shipped to your door and notifications about upcoming guests and more great content on the way. That's at avaswild.com. That's the word save spelled backwards, wild.com. This episode was produced by Tyler White and edited by Patrick Troll. Original music was created by Whiskey Class. This podcast is a collaboration between Ava's Wild Stories and Salmon Nation. 
and was recorded on the homelands of the Duwamish people. We'd like to recognize these lands and waters and their significance for the peoples who lived and continue to live in this region, whose practices and spiritualities were and are tied to the land and the water, and whose lives continue to enrich and develop in relationship to the land, waters, and other inhabitants today.